I'm Kate Daniels. Pain, the management of it, is a thing that we can consider to be at epidemic proportions. Dr. Joseph Pergolesi is a leading pain management expert who wants us to understand that the pill may not be the cure. Perhaps there isn't a cure, but we need to understand the challenges of that item. So we are fortunate to have Dr. Pergolesi here with some practical guidance for managing pain safely and effectively. Dr. Joseph Pergolesi, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. It is really my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Well, part of it is certainly the whole aspect of your expertise, which is working with pain management. So I am really looking forward to this time with you, as I'm sure anyone and everyone listening is, because pain is something that all of us experience at some point in time. Some of us experience to a greater degree, and that's Uh, I think regardless of how much it is that we experience, this is important because even a little bit can seem like a mountain when it's our personal self that's involved in it. Well, you're absolutely right. And just so that everyone understands the magnitude of this problem, pain is the most common reason for patients seeking medical care, not just in the United States, but across the world. The funny thing about pain is that it's very subjective and very individualized. So imagine in the United States, when we talk about chronic pain, the Institute of Medicine has told us that 30% of the adult Americans will report chronic pain. That is pain lasting more than three months. And if every single one of those patients is individualized, you can see why it can present you know, difficulties in coming up with a sort of cookbook recipe to treat patients. And and that's why this individualization of pain sometimes results in um, us inadequately managing pain for patients and them being in, you know, a state of suffering. And and that's the end result of pain that's uncontrolled is suffering, that sort of metaphysical dehumanization of the patient. So when we think about pain and we try to divide it in our head as a, as a patient, it's important to realize there's a difference between acute pain, which many of us are, are going to feel. It's a natural process. You know, through our lives, we're all going to experience some type of pain, and chronic pain. And when we look at chronic pain, the prevalence of chronic pain is greater than diabetes, heart disease, and cancer all combined. So this is a big problem. And, and um, it's something that you know really requires a specialist to address um, appropriately. And that's what we're wanting to do this morning is to really highlight this so that people realize if they haven't had any kind of good answer, if they haven't had success, that this is going to give a really important good approach, I believe. That's right. You know, you don't want to go around without knowing what's going on. That even makes you fall further into despair. The only big practical issue we have is that if you look at the U.S. News and World Report, you'll see that there are only about 6,000 pain specialists like myself that are listed in that report. So 6,000 pain specialists to take care of 100 or 110 million adult Americans, and that doesn't include pediatric and adolescent pain. Uh, is tough. <laughs> so uh, we rely a lot on our primary health care providers. 
know, your family doctor who will roll up his sleeves and do his or her best job at trying to address this, this chronic pain. And a lot of times we work very closely with your primary care doctors to give them guidance and consult them as pain management consultants. So that is, again, underscoring what is going on with us because 30%, one in three people around us, we can assume is dealing with this. So this is a really what we could consider an epidemic in our country. That's a good way of looking at it. And it really is considered this, this epidemic. And when we look at this epidemic and we ask ourselves, you know, if it, is it a fault of our own? <laughs> it's really not, because if I go to any other country across the world, we see the same type of prevalence of pain. There are differences in how we manage that pain uh, between one country and another, but the prevalence is there. And remember that pain is a symptom. It's not, it's not a disease. I will say to my patients that over time, chronic pain becomes a disease because your body changes. Like the rewiring and the perception of how you are going to experience pain becomes different as your pain becomes more chronic. But the pure definition of pain is that it is a symptom. And when we think about that part of it, it is often associated with the disease, or at least that's what I'm thinking, like, say, arthritis. That's correct. And so that also makes it uh, a little more challenging because you're right. If you look at arthritis, osteoarthritis, uh, that's an inflammation. And it's very important to realize that there's inflammation and then there's inflammatory pain. And a lot of times, even as doctors, we get confused. And by getting confused when we're treating something like rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis and we don't have a clear definition on how to treat it, how to treat the inflammation versus how to treat the inflammatory pain, sometimes we get confused. So it's, it is important to understand. Another very popular disease that has a pain component to it is diabetic peripheral neuropathy. This is where you get your hands and feet are very painful, or they have abnormal sensation. And it unfortunately goes hand in hand with diabetes, and it can be managed. It can be somewhat prevented or slowed down. But unfortunately, it's one of those triads that happen with the symptomatology related to the progression of the disease. So you're right. Um, and what it also leads us to realize is that the majority of patients with chronic pain also have other diseases, what we call comorbidities. So you may be a patient who has chronic lower back pain, but also suffers from diabetes with some diabetic peripheral neuropathy, and you may also have osteoarthritis, or you may have other things like high cholesterol and heart disease like hypertension. And all of this together is what makes it challenging, um, but from my standpoint, what also makes it very exciting because it allows me to have the opportunity to be very individual when it comes to creating personalized pain management plans because we have to take all of that information 
into consideration. If you're a patient who has high blood pressure, then maybe I won't use a certain type of medication with you. If you're a patient that has a, a problem with your liver, again, that might limit the type of medication that I use for you. So for those patients that are in chronic pain, you know, I feel your pain because it is, it is, it is complex, but it is something that can be dealt with. And that is what we really want to address this morning. So one of the things is we hear a lot about prescription painkillers, and we think that maybe that's going to be the solution, but we're also hearing what a major problem this is for people, and uh, it's a crisis in our country. Yes, and again, very, very astutely, you've looked at this subject matter because I've coined this the dual pandemic. When it comes to chronic pain, as I mentioned, it's a third of the adult population based on the Institute of Medicine report. And then we have the side effect profile. The side effect profile, I think, comes in two forms. Those which are inherently related to the drug, like the class of drugs known as the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, these drugs in certain patient populations may result in GI bleeding, meaning stomach bleeding or lower bowel bleeding, heart disease, and heart attack, and problems with your kidney in certain populations that are more risky. And then there's the societal problems, which are associated with a certain class of pain medications called the opioids. And when we look at the opioids, what we see is that Unfortunately, these medications are diverted from a patient into the mainstream population and can be used recreationally or used and abused recreationally, illegally. And this pandemic has resulted in major problems from a societal standpoint, very negative impacts related to abuse, misuse, addiction, and even, unfortunately, death. If we look at one statistic from the CDC, we find that in the latest review of mortality related to opioid prescription drugs, we find that there is a higher amount of death that related in the United States to these prescription drugs and overdose compared to car accidents. So that's an alarming number, and it's something that we really need to be very aware of before we use this class of drugs in patients. So it's important to use conservative prescribing, but at the same time, it's also important to realize that, you know, these drugs may be helpful in certain types of patients where other things have not helped. So it's not a first-line type of therapy that should be given to patients. But instead, what we do is we try to be a detective like Sherlock Holmes, and we assess the patient. And after we assess the patient to understand what is driving this pain and all the components that are involved and affect the patient and stop that patient from being functional and doing activities of daily living and having them not uh, suffer, we try to get all those elements together and come up with a plan that includes 
non-pharmacological strategies, meaning things that are not of the, the drug world, like massage therapy, behavioral cognitive therapy, therapies which might include manipulations such as chiropractic therapy for certain patients with muscle skeletal problems, diet exercise, uh, physical rehabilitation. And we then combine that with intervention. Sometimes you may go to a doctor and they may say that they need to inject you with a medication or inject you with a, a needle to try to help your pain, let's say, in your neck or your back. And those two options are the what we call non-pharmacological, and we then combine that with various types of drugs if we need to. So it's this more holistic approach, what we call a multimodal, different types of modalities to treat the patient's pain so that we're not using or relying on just one golden bullet because, as I told you, pain is very individualized and there is no golden bullet that works in 100% of the patients 100% of the time. So we have to use these type of holistic strategies, which include non-pharmacological options along with pharmacological or drug options, pain medicine options when appropriate. And when we do that and we think about introducing pain medicines into the program, we, we find in a recent survey conducted at Pain Week last year, which is the largest conference for pain professionals to learn, what we found is that overwhelmingly about 95% of the practitioners would suggest a topical analgesic, meaning a topical pain medicine, one that you would rub where your pain is or apply where your pain is if you have pain that is localized. Now, if you have cancer pain, unfortunately, and it's in cancer pain in your stomach or your bones, then this doesn't apply. And cancer pain is different than non-cancer pain. But if you do, let's say, have tendinitis, uh, arthritis in your elbow or hand or knee, then a good idea is to try that physical therapy, rest, ice, and heat. And if we're going to use a medication, start with a topical medication. And I've actually developed one of those and clinically tested it. This topical medication is called OxyRub. It's uh, available now in the United States, and it's an example of starting low and going slow, meaning we start with the least invasive type of drug or pain medicine that we think will work, and we work our way up to the different, more potent classes of pain medicines, knowing that as we increase that ladder, we increase potential risk of side effects, whether they be physical side effects like the ones I mentioned before with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or if they are related to the issues with the opioid pain medications of abuse, misuse, and addiction. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And I'm all for that. And I think probably most of us are wanting to go with what is going to be the least, I'm going to say, threatening, the the least invasive in our system. So thinking of something that's a topical rub does sound as though it's going to be beneficial. You've done the, the research on that. And what have you found, Dr. Pergolizzi, in terms of people being able to benefit from using the OxyRub? Well, I think what we found in the clinical studies is that it is able to reduce the pain in a good amount of patients. It's able to reduce the pain. And on top of that, it is the, the more that these patients used it, the better the pain relief they've got. And again, it's for certain types of pains. It, it, and a matter of fact, what I will tell my, my patients is that if it doesn't work and I you're not seeing me, but you've tried it with your primary care doctor and it doesn't work, then you definitely need to get back to your doctor and you need to do some more testing to find out what's wrong with you. Because, again, there's no golden bullet that works in 100% of the patients 100% of the time. But we do know that there are various types of guidelines. And guidelines are like a, a map for healthcare providers to look at and see if they can get information to help them better treat their patients. One such guidelines are the NICE guidelines out of the UK. We all know about the UK lately. Um, They have some very good guidelines when it comes to pain medicine, particularly in uh, the musculoskeletal area like osteoarthritis. And in the NICE guidelines, they do suggest that when you think about using pain medicines that you start with topical pain medicines to treat that osteoarthritis. So it's, it's a compound that can fit very nicely into guidelines that have been looked at and have been critically reviewed. And what we find, again, is that it really comes down to, as you said, providing the, the least invasive, less risky type of option for our our patients, uh, and then gradually increasing the potency if we need as we, we find out what's going on. But it's a good first step. And as you said, using a multimodal program seems like such a great way to proceed and to understand that that is part of the treatment, that there's not going to be that one, uh, a golden bullet that really is typically not going to exist and to be open to different disciplines. That's true. And that gets to the heart of personalized medicine, and that is shared decision-making. It's important that patients realize you're part of the team. You're part of my pain management team. I need you to be educated. I need you to be weighed in on this. And it's important that you have that relationship with your doctor where it's a do-ask, do-tell especially when it comes to the therapy. We need to know in chronic pain that the therapies that we're suggesting to our patients align with our patient's expectations. You know, what do you expect to get out of this? And I can tell you that when it comes to chronic pain, what we want to provide for our patients is we want to be able to provide them with the ability to decrease their pain, Because unfortunately, a lot of times with chronic pain, 
you're not going to be able to remove it 100% of the time. So we can decrease your pain and we increase your functionality, your activities of daily living. An example of activities of daily living may be if you have very bad osteoarthritis of the hands and you want to open up your pain medicine bottle. That becomes very difficult, right? Or if you have bad rheumatoid arthritis of the hands and you want to crochet or knit, that could be very limiting in your ability to actually achieve that. So we want to increase activities of daily living, functionality, get you back into the workplace if you're working, get you back into doing things that you enjoy doing, and improve your quality of life. And so it's important the patient takes an active role in shared decision-making, and that means that your doctor or your clinician has to be a teacher as well. And that's one area that we have to do better in, and that is in the education of pain, both on the patient side as well as on the healthcare provider side. And we've had lots of various initiatives out there that are aimed at increasing pain education so that we can provide better options and better assessment of the patient and the patient can make better shared decisions with us and have a personalized plan that meets their goals and expectations. And I feel that your role right now, you're offering yourself in this way to inform us and educate us is so key. You are really such a, an important leader in this whole educational process, I feel, Dr. Pergolesi, to really be helping us. So let me just thank you for doing the kind of work that you're doing in this way and reaching so many people. Thank you very much. And I think that it's a very well reward at the end because if we look at pain, as I said, unproperly treated pain results in suffering and dehumanizes the individual. And sometimes it's the final straw. I'd like to take a minute to talk about medication. And a couple things that I can tell patients that align with safe use. If you get a prescription from your clinician, your healthcare provider, for pain medication, it's important that you take those pain medications as prescribed. A lot of times with pain, you may be prescribed medication, let's say, twice a day. And some days your pain's worse than others. So you think, well, you know, maybe today I'll take two pills, you know, instead of one pill, and I'll take it three times a day. Because, heck, my pain's worse. That's not advised. Anytime you want to try to think about changing your medication, it's always important to have a talk with the person who prescribed it. Another thing to realize is that you really should only have one doctor prescribing your pain medication. Now, we can work as a team. A pain specialist like myself can work with your primary care health care provider to come up with a team, but it really should just be one person prescribing those pain medications, not multiple people, because this way we have a set plan and we know that if we make changes, that those changes can be monitored to see if they are helping or not. Another good tip is not to use 
expired medications. Now, I know medications are expensive, even generics. And it's important to realize if something's expired, you should throw it away. And you should properly dispose it. Now, I mentioned one class of pain medications called the opiates. And this is a very important class of drugs that we have to be very aware that we need to safeguard these medications. These are medications that should not be left around the house. They should be kept in a secure place. They should be accounted for by the patient. And when you're done using them, if you no longer need them, you should either return them to a pharmacist or flush them down the toilet. You should never share your medications with other people. You know, it's a natural type of response to try to help other human beings. And as I said, pain is so prevalent that more than likely you're going to come across somebody, a family member or a friend, who is going to be in pain at some time. And you want to think that you're doing the right thing by saying, oh, well, these pain medication work for me. Maybe I can give you one and you'll be better. You should never do that. You know, sharing medications is not a good idea. Borrowing medications from other people is not a good idea. You're not 100% sure what could happen. An example, children who are exposed to even one dose of an opioid can result in fatal overdose and death. So it's very important that we are very judicious and very careful with those medications and that we practice safe use practices when it comes to our medications. Absolutely. That, I hope that you've instilled deep fear in any of us who would ever consider doing something like that. And uh, thank you for underscoring that for us, Dr. Pergolisi. Great. And I think a couple other practical things, as I mentioned, are that we really need to have a do-ask-do-tell position with our patients. And we need to come up with strategies that are focused on shared decision-making so that we have a plan, we have a goal at the end of that plan, we have a team that is trying to achieve the goals for the patient, and the patient is aware of what's going on. And they're the person driving the ship. That's important. So I know that patients a lot of times will come in and tell me, well, I trust everything my doctor says, and I want to be a good patient. And you should. The doctor and your healthcare providers have your best interest in mind. But that doesn't stop you from asking questions. You know, what will this do to me? What does this mean? What am I going to get out of this? When do I expect a result? How big of a result do I expect? So that you have realistic expectations. And that's very important. That's extremely valuable. All of this has been. It really is important food for thought and for ultimate action. We'll want to, no doubt, do some more research. I hope we're inspired to do that. Let's mention ways that people can find out more information about what we've discussed, Dr. Pergolisi. Sure. I think one of the very first websites I always like to suggest is that from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. You can do a simple internet search, and you should be able to get some good information there. I also think it's important that you look at other sites. I think my patients do get good information from places like Medscape. And I also think that when it comes to a certain therapy, that you should look it up 
and you should discuss it with your healthcare provider. So, example, if we look at the topical analgesic that I helped create, that is OxyRub. OxyRub has a website, uh, OXYRUB.com, and you want to look at that, and then you want to evaluate it, and if you have additional questions, you can talk with your healthcare provider or do additional searching to see more information. So this applies to all types of therapies. If someone suggests to you that you should do physical therapy, well, ask those questions. The better informed the patient is, the better results we're going to get and the better shared decisions that we're going to make. Indeed. Well, this has really been extremely informative and educational. Dr. Pergolisi, again, I just value so much that you offer your expertise to us, that you've spent this significant time with us this morning. Thank you so greatly. Thank you very much. And as I said to everyone out there who's in chronic pain, you know, make sure that you're in control. Get that relationship with the right health care provider. Create that personalized individual plan. Set your expectations and realize that you can decrease pain, you can increase functionality, and ultimately have a better quality of life. I want to thank you very much, and my time is always open for your program, and God bless all of you. Thank you.